When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. back with another Lakers snack pack. It is just after 5.30 here on the East Coast. It is a beautiful 82 degrees in Toronto. Feels like a summer day, actually. There's a lot of people out on the patios, uh, people wearing summer clothes, and it's really nice to see after the long winter we've had here on the East Coast. So want to welcome everybody back to another edition uh, excited to be back again. Yeah, so the Lakers fast break got together last night. Uh, shout out to uh, Gerald Glassford, John McCallion, and uh, Joe Soro. We all got together and had a little uh, wrap-up from uh, the playing uh, results. And for anybody who was not paying attention, uh, last night the Chicago Bulls defeated the Toronto Raptors. Thunder defeated Hawkins. Um, a little controversy towards the end. Brandon Ingram looked like his uh, elbow was hit as he launched a three. Uh, no foul call. And as the uh, game ensued, New Orleans wasn't able to uh, muster up uh, any kind of offense. And the Thunder kept hitting the free throws. So it, the Thunder and the Bulls both move on. Uh, that's the first time in the history of the plan that uh, both 10 10 seeds have uh, defeated the ninth seed to uh, advance to the secondary playing game. So we will see on Friday night the uh, Chicago Bulls in the, uh, I don't even know what their arena is called anymore since uh, Sam Bankman Freed uh, went to jail. So they're playing in Miami. We'll see how that goes. I'll preview that game tomorrow on Magic Man in the morning. And also on the uh, second slate of game for the uh, plan to determine the eighth seed is going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves hosting the OKC Thunder. We'll see how that game how that game goes. I know a lot of people are probably just thinking, you know, it, it's it's probably a lot to ask the Thunder to defeat uh, a Wolves team with uh, uh, Rudy Gobert actually in the lineup. Um, the, the Wolves are still going to be short Jane McDaniels, but I happen to think the Thunder can give the Wolves a run for the money. Um, they may just run out of gas at the fourth because they're a young and experienced team, or they could possibly uh, pull off the uh, the uh, 
not the unthinkable, but uh, improbable. Uh, you know, winning winning games against uh, you know better teams. Pelicans, quite honestly, had I think the better roster top to bottom, and the I think the Wolves have more of a top heavy roster than the Thunder do at this point. But for all the crap that's been going on this year. I was a little surprised that Josh Giddy really didn't receive any kind of flowers yesterday for his performance. It was a quiet, uh, almost triple-double, 31-10-9. Um, I think he was just one rebound off of a triple-double. But uh, Giddy's the real deal. Giddy is the real deal. I actually think that for all the narratives going on about Ben Simmons, Oh, yeah, when he came in, he was going to be, you know, the Magic Johnson with uh, a turbocharged uh, motor, right? That's that's basically what we heard, division, spatial awareness. Uh, he's just going to be unstoppable. And what happened? I don't know what happened. Well, I don't think we'll ever know what happened, but something happened in that Atlanta series that changed his mindset forever forever because he hasn't established a post game he hasn't established any kind of jumper and everybody praises the aussie right oh he's the best he's the best uh, aussie prospect to come out of australia i don't think so i'd put josh giddy ahead of ben simmons right now josh giddy look he improved his three-point shot last year he shot closer to 25 percent than he did 35 this year, he's shooting closer to 35 than 25. He's improved tremendously as a, a shooter. Uh, he's got a better dribble drive game. He sees the floor better than Simmons does. Like, I'm sorry. It's just, I'm, I've been watching basketball for well over 30 years. I've heard all the Simmons talk. Josh Giddy has upticked every statistical category in his repertoire. Everyone, his field goal percentage is up, his three-point percentage is up, his free throw percentage is up, his points per game are up. This guy just keeps getting better and better, and I think he's he should be pointed at as, yeah, that's the kind of quality of player that, that can come out of Australia, not Ben Simmons. So I just wanted to give uh, my flowers to Josh Giddy because, you know, I think he's going to be tremendously important for the thunder coming up because when you when you look at the thunder currently sga doesn't shoot a lot of threes like a lot of people won't want to point to well you know sga is part of this dribble drive three uh evolution the nba not really he's he's sga loves to drive score easy layups and get to the free throw line three pointers aren't his game he shot less than 175 threes this year he shoots less than, almost less than three a game, sometimes less than two. He doesn't need to shoot threes. The Thunder have a variety of three-point shooters and ball handlers on their team that, that's going to bode well for them in the future. Like, I, I was asking Gerald yesterday, you know, of, of the two teams that played yesterday, the Thunder and the Pelicans, which one has the bigger upside? I'll, I'll pose that question to our audience. Please leave a comment, like, and subscribe. Lakers fast break, but please leave a comment. Who do you think has the better upside? The Pelicans or the Thunder? That would be my question. I personally, I happen to think just because of their draft capital and what Sam Presti has been able to do, 
I mean, my goodness, he, 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 they couldn't find any time for McGee. And now he's flourishing in, uh, in New York, but they brought in Joe Isaiah and Joe Isaiah is probably the biggest and best pickup that any GM has gotten this year. I mean, for, for, for what he's making versus what he's producing, it's insane. His production. So hats off to Presti and the Thunder. They advanced. Um, they'll be playing the Wolves tomorrow. And with that, uh, move on to some some other news. It's it's really interesting. I found this stat as I was uh, researching for the playoffs. This is from uh, Forbes magazine. Forbes is saying that uh, in 2022-23, the NBA season gap in win percentage between the fourth and twelfth seed in the West was only 0.101%, i.e. eight, less than eight and a half wins. That was the difference. Up until March 24th, that gap was only three wins. So a difference of eight games, 73 games played uh, at March 24th versus 81 when this report came out. There was a difference of eight and a half, three wins to eight and a half. And I did some research, and if you look back at the West standings, uh, March 15th, uh, basically almost a month to the day, here's what we find out. The Suns were at fourth seed in that place, and uh, they still remained. They had 37 wins. They were 37 and 32. They finished with 45. The Jazz at that time were, and the Pelicans were both tied for 12th. They were 33 and 36. So. 37 versus 33. That was the difference nearly a month ago between 4th and 12th. You know, a difference of three wins. Uh, the problem was is the play-in uh, doesn't exacerbate teams' ability to tank. In other words, if you're in uh, 11th or 12th place and you say you have 42, wins, 42 wins and there are three games left and the – 10th seed has 43 wins. Well, if you win those two games, you're you're more than likely probably going to be in there. But if you lose both of those games, your odds of increasing in the lottery drop significantly. See, the only way your you your um your chances or percentages rise if is if you decide to tank earlier. If you wait until like the very last minute up until sitting your guys, you're likely not going to increase your chances of of the lottery. That's why the Mavs got into this mess. They made a trade for Kripstad's Porzingis that they thought would pay off and put beside Luka. Didn't work out. They thought they could sign Christian Wood and put him in a position to try and help Luka. Didn't work. And now Kyrie. And they've traded all these picks away, and they are going to be praying like hell, pardon the pun, but praying like hell, that that 20% chance doesn't lead them down the, the road to perdition, because that's where they're at it, essentially. It's the basketball road of perdition, where you trade away your picks, and nothing ever comes of it. And you keep trying to have to build a team around a superstar. And hey, LeBron made it look easy, right, ladies and gentlemen? LeBron made it look easy trying to build a team around a superstar. It's not. 
It's not easy to build a team around a superstar. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen it with Duca. We've seen it with Devin Booker. We've seen it with Chris Paul. We've seen it with Carmelo Anthony. It is difficult to build a team around a superstar. You have to hit all the right notes and pray for good health at the end of the year. That's the only way it really happens. So the Western Conference has really undertaken a huge change over the last month. Last month, the Lakers were in 10th place and they were 34 and 35. Now, since then, they've gone 10 in four. 10 and four. Not bad. Not bad. Plus 10 wins would be better than any of the teams from fourth till 12th. So the Lakers won the most games out of that group to end the season. And welcome uh, my special guest, Nick Molina. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Hey, Sean, what's up? Uh, how's the snack going? Uh, pretty good, man. Pretty good. I'm just uh, kind of going over... Uh, you know, a bit of blue sentence about interesting stat I read in uh, Forbes magazine. They were talking about on March 24th, uh, the gap between the fourth seed and the 12th seed in the West was three and a half games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I wrote this down, this is April uh, 5th, uh, it had du- almost basically doubled to eight and a half wins. But at the time, right, March 15th, the Jazz and the Pelicans were tied for 12th place at 33 wins. The Suns were in fourth at 37. Mm. That's never happened before in uh, the modern era in the Western Conference where you had that uh, that small of a gap between fourth and 12th. Uh, yeah, Sean, I think it just goes to a more global point of just how strange the NBA season has been this year and especially with the Western Conference, just how wide open everything is um speaking just for myself i would not be surprised if any team beat anyone at this point uh just given the tightness of everyone's records and how um just unpredictable the season has been um and obviously given the additional variable that you know once the playoffs start the regular season at that point doesn't matter it's a completely different tournament so it's everybody's game at that point it's a whole different ball game. How you win in the regular season is not how you're going to win in the playoffs. That's for sure. Uh, and uh, with with the playoffs in mind, and obviously the Lakers uh, going up against the Grizzlies, Sean, what, what's uh, what would be your game plan, kind of your strategy for that first game against the Grizzlies? Are you coming out aggressive? Are you coming out a little bit more cautious, trying to read the game, trying to, you know, plan out for a longer uh, series uh what's kind of your thought process on that you know what nick i gotta be i gotta be honest i'm uh i'm always hesitant especially like trying to for like foresee uh a game one win especially on the road i think the first 10 minutes are going to be critical man yeah i i just think they need to come out and and try and establish ad in the post and lebron with the at the rim, I think it's it's integral. Um, Memphis is just gonna, I think, try and be ultra aggressive and just try and roll us really quick. Um, just, just, I think that's just their attitude coming into this game is to is to uh, flurry like fast and furious and just try and get out because I think if LeBron and AD 
they are if their plan is to kind of grind them out and extend the game i like i don't think memphis wants to play it that way they're they're very up and down they love getting back in transition on offense and defense so i think points are going to be a premium there i think two two big thing if if you can't get J, triple j in trouble then you have to find a way to be very efficient at the rim when he's out mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, no i and, hear you yeah and two is our defense has been been very good over the past six weeks, man. So the Lakers are number one in the league in getting to the line. They're number one in the league in preventing teams from getting to the line, and we're third in drawn charges. So Memphis loves to play fast and high tempo. So I, I think if uh, guys are just ready to put their bodies on the line, I think the Lakers can draw a lot of charges and, um, you know, get Memphis in some turnover turnover trouble outside of that because um, outside of outside of Jaw, Tyus Jones is really probably the most efficient player in the NBA, so he's not really going to turn the ball over a hell, hell of a lot. So the Lakers need to take advantage of turnovers when, when they present themselves. Absolutely, Sean. Um, I'm with you. I agree with you. And actually, as a follow-up question to that, uh, just something that I've been thinking around in my mind, and I would love to get your thoughts on this, is obviously, um, you know, Memphis has uh, people like John Morant, Dylan Brooks, and others. Yep. So with that said, and given Dennis's uh, ability to be a very effective enable point of attack mm-hmm. defender, would you want? Would you actually start Dennis in place of either Austin Reeves or D'Angelo Russell, or would you keep the lineup as it is right now, bringing Dennis off the bench? with Russell and Reeves starting in the backcourt. That's that's interesting, Nick. Um, I I'd probably leave it as is, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't be I shocked and or surprised or confused if he did that. That that would actually that would be pretty sound. I remember previously when they did play Memphis with our other incarnation of a team, Troy Brown Jr. was starting that game. So uh, I, I doubt he would do that again, but uh, you never know. Starting Dennis is is pretty interesting, although I like the idea of him hounding Tyus Jones off the bench. I, I think you need somebody who can corral him because Memphis, Memphis's bench can cook, especially when he's rolling. So I, I'm not sure if they'll bring Dennis off the bench and in the starting lineup. I could see why, right? Because then, of course... You're bringing Reeves off the bench, and Reeves checks Jones. So it's it's really interesting, man. I I know a lot of people are favoring the Grizzlies, and rightfully so because they have the better record. I think the Grizzlies missing Adams really, really limits them from from an offensive versatility, uh, Nick, because the, the big difference, here's the big difference to me between Steven Adams and Rudy Gobert. If you disagree, let me know. When Rudy sets sets picks, it's almost as if it's robotic. It's 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 very by the numbers, like very boilerplate, like laissez faire. When Adams sets picks, it's hard. It's hard. You feel them. And I think over a forty eight minute game, he grinds on people and he makes people wary of his physicality. 
And Memphis missing that, I think, allows the Lakers to kind of, kind of punish them, because Adam Adams was more known as a punishing setter than than Gobert. Gobert's a big body. He allowed he allowed uh, people like Spida and now Ant to to get a lot of space. Whereas Adams Adams can create space and intimidation. No, absolutely, Magic Man. Um, that's exactly right. With Adams, I mean, it's almost like, you know, if he sets a screen, it's running into a brick wall. You yes. know, where, whereas with, uh, I can't say the same about Gobert. Um, and so definitely with um, Adams out of the lineup and not available, I think that's a huge leg up for the Lakers, especially given the fact that Ham has not seemed to have found a backup center even with Mo Bamba uh, now available, um, there's trepidation on Ham's part to actually give him some minutes. I'm still trying to understand that one. Um, I'm not sure why don't why you don't bring Bamba in for, I don't know, even 10 minutes a night just to, uh, you know, bang a little bit down low with, uh, with any big men that might be on the other side. I'm also curious to see, although not optimistic that Tristan Thompson, uh, will be available and I don't know what he will bring at this point. Uh, maybe we got lucky and he, you know, has some spurts of, of uh, old brilliance or old effectiveness. But other than that, um, yeah, the center position is one that we're weak in just because we don't have backups there. But um, again, hopefully we could figure it out. This is Raphael from NBADraftJunkies.com and you are listening to the Lakers Fast Break. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. Bring me all of the Star Trek all of the time, and I will be an incredibly happy girl. Even if it's terrible. It's like pizza. Bad pizza is still pretty good because it's pizza. Bad Star Trek is still pretty good because it's still Star Trek. That's the way that I look at it. Just let it sit in the refrigerator for a day and be cool. That's it. Yep. That's the Pop Culture Cosmo Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Catch our shows on Worldwide Radio seven days a week and wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, outside of Triple J, the Grizzlies are really limited at the at the center position. They have Aldama, they have Tillman, they have David Roddy. But none of those guys can shoot threes at the clip that Triple J can. And none of those guys are great uh, pick setters and passers in the same way that Adams is. So in every single way that um, the backups uh, don't measure up with Adams and Triple J, that's where the Lakers have to take advantage of it because Kenny Loft, as much as a lot of people love Kenny Lofton Jr., and he's going to be a great player, he is there for energy and hustle. He gets a lot of offensive boards, and he hustles. He's not a shooter either. So the Lakers really need to establish the paint, and if they can, if they can run Triple J and uh, a couple more shooters off the line, that'd be great because uh, Ja... Jaw loves to drive and kick. That's his bre- that's his bread and butter. Uh, out, outside of Trey Young, uh, Jaw has the highest uh, assist to turnover percentage in the NBA. That just means the amount of assists versus the amount of passes versus the amount of assists he gets. Trey averages around twenty percent. So for every forty passes Trey makes, uh, eight 
our uh, assists, 20%, right? So, Jaws, along those same lines, um, it's important for the Lakers to to get him in foul trouble if you can. Jaw has a tendency to, to not change his, his change of pace or speed when he gets into the lane. He's like a rocket. So in, in that way, if you can if not slow him down, but corral him or just create an obstacle that he has to try and get around, it, it, it bodes well because the Lakers have been opportunistic in the lane with uh, with steals. Yep, yeah, no, that's absolutely right, uh, Magic Man. And, and Sean, I'll add it, another thing, and I think this is, might be the most just in my view, probably uh, the most critical thing about this game going up against the Grizzlies, and I think it's just going to be the mental game. Um, as we know, the Grizzlies uh, love to talk tough and to uh, express a huge ego. And whatever the Lakers could do to minimize or eliminate that ego would actually, I think, end up winning them this series. Um, I think that the Grizzlies are a team that, you know, if they get a good vibe going, if they get momentum going, if they start getting hot from, uh, from you know, the three-point line or whatnot, um, they're going to be difficult to stop. And But if you could do something to curtail that confidence, I think that's a huge, huge plus. Man, Nick, that's that's a really solid point, man. It's a really solid point. To quote Zach Delarocca from uh, Rage, they say that in War of the Truth be the first casualty. So, I, I think yeah, if you could if you could have a situation where they're forced to eat humble pie and think about all the ways that the Lakers are frustrating them, yeah, I think you're right, Nick. I think that that that's their uh, Achilles' heel, so to speak, if you will, is their their inability to it seems, pick themselves up by the bootstraps when someone knocks them on their ass. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, Sean. And, um, you know. Good point, uh, man. We we know that LeBron, um, you know, he he's you know talked uh, smack with uh, with the Grizzlies in the past, so hopefully he brings that energy for this upcoming series. But, yeah, man, I'm very much looking forward to it. And, um, you know, um, I know that the snack packs are a big hit with the – LFB audience and shout out to everybody that's watching and in the chat room right now. Um, you know, the magic man is, uh, is doing good work out here. Oh, I appreciate, I appreciate that, man. And, uh, before we head out from this snack break, we got to finish up some, uh, in-house awards, Nick. So, uh, we asked everybody who their, uh, rookie of the year was, and, uh, I'll just go from, uh, from uh, descending to ascending. Jamie got back to us uh, with uh, his five. He voted Jalen Williams, number one, uh, Keegan Murray, number two, Paolo Bancaro, number three, Walker Kessler, number four, and Jalen Duran, number five. Gerald had Bancaro, one, Williams, two, Kessler, three, Murray, four, Matherin, five. Henry had interesting he had Walker Kessler as his rookie of the year. Ben Carroll, number two. Williams, number three. Benedict Matherin, number four. Keegan Murray, five. Tom also had Jalen Williams. So the Laker-holics guys are in uh, unison there. Jalen Williams is rookie of the year. Number two is Ben Carroll. Three, Kessler. Four, Matherin. Five, Murray. Nick had... Ben Carroll, one, Williams, two, Walker, Kessler, three, Keegan Murray, four, Benedict Matherin, five, 
And uh, I had Bankero 1, Williams 2, Kessler 3, Ivy 4, and Matherin 5. So out of, out of the top five, Nick, most of the votes went for Bankero. There were two votes for Jalen Williams from uh, the Lakerholics crew, and Henry had Walker Kessler as his rookie of the year. Why do you think Bankero is going to ultimately win it, Nick? Really? I mean, it, I think it just comes down to, um, uh, for me, I think uh, media, right? Um, Bankero has been uh, touted as a, as a future star. He was the number one pick. Um, he's uh, gotten, you know, the stats. And um, to play devil's advocate, those stats have been on a poorly performing team. Um, so, you know, that's a factor to consider. But, um, yeah, I feel like he's likely to win their award. Williams may, like, sweep it in at the end. But, yeah, I see Ben Carroll uh, winning that award. I am curious, though, Magic Man, um, just uh, obviously you're very knowledgeable about the game. Just curious why uh, Keegan Murray was left out of, out of your uh, top five. Yeah, you know what? He had a very good season, and, you know, he should get it. kudos. I saw a guy who was basically asked to play a similar role he played in college, and having the experience he did coming out with uh, with his years, uh, I think he was a plug and play guy. And while I do I do I do have him in my top ten, he, I just I couldn't find I, I couldn't find a way to take out Ivy or Matherin, even though a lot of people felt that Ivy did struggle. You know, he was missing Cade Cunningham and his team was tanking. So he didn't get a lot of a lot of help there. But I would have included Murray as well in my uh, sixth place there, Nick. But he just, to me, the top five is, is what it is. I mean, had Walker Kessler played the whole year and had Utah actually given him, you know, 30 plus minutes, I think he would have ran away with it personally. But Ben Carroll had a really good first 25, 30 games. And uh, Williams has had the best season overall. There's no question about that. Like the past 50 games, he's been the best rookie. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree, Sean. Um, yeah, it, you know, this league seems to be in good hands with, you know, a bevy of, uh, of uh, talented players that are, you know, obviously very very young in their careers but you know i and see some future all-stars absolutely yeah nick that was going to be my my last question for you before we we head out here so your top five i think would be a consensus top five of all those guys who do you think tops out as say a star and then who would you say is uh, next, uh, you know, an all-star once in a while, but for the most part, he gets a second contract. And then a guy who's a role player, and then on and on. Who do, who do you think is going to be the star amongst that group? Who do you think has the most upside? And who do you think maybe just be a role player out of the league in, ten, in five years? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you this, Sean. If, if Bancaro could become like a lethal three-point threat, and just given his size, the guy is like 6'10". I mean, he has the physical gifts to really be something special. I mean, effectively, if he becomes a much better version of what Ben Simmons ended up becoming, where, you know, he's great on defense and all-around good player, where he could also dish the ball and assist, then Ben Carroll, um, it's hard to say that he wouldn't have possibly the highest ceiling out of this group. With respect to 
maybe your second or third category of a player that, you know, is a solid player and that might be an all-star here and there. That could probably be someone like Keegan Murray, you know, someone that, you know, is a very good player, but, you know, might not be a perennial all-star. And as far as like, um, you know, I just, Walker Kessler, he had a great season, Jalen Williams. I mean, any of those guys could just have like longevity in the NBA and Matherin as well. So it's hard to say, um, you know, that they wouldn't, you know, have a long and healthy NBA careers. But um, out of all these guys, I mean, um, they're all, you know, very talented. Um, and, you know, we'll have to wait and see over the course of the next two, three years how they pan out. For 10 years, Nick, I've been listening with the sound off on NBA games. But as it happens, I don't know what happened yesterday, but the sound was on. I took my headphones off, and I immediately heard Jeff Van Gundy and his idiotic comments about how he doesn't like the fact that there's a J.L.N. Williams and a J. Lynn Williams. Like, you got to be kidding mm-hmm. me. You're, 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 <laughs> you're so lazy, you can't put an extra intonation on a, mm-hmm. an extra syllable. It's a, 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 a J, J.N. versus J. Lynn. I, I don't see a... I don't see a complication with that, but that's where we are now with the NBA analysis, Nick. You brought this up before on playback about how a lot of these a lot of these suits and ties don't actually watch anything except what they're seeing in front of them at the time. I, I, I think I think what ends up happening is that a lot of them end up, uh, you know, they don't watch the games and whatever information they do get from a game, they probably get it from some type of intern or clerk at the news station or a radio station that gives them, you know, like a one page cliff note saying, Hey, AD had four blocks and, you know, 15, 20 points or whatever, but without actually seeing the game played and the context surrounding the stats, uh, you might as well have not uh, seen or read anything regarding the game uh, because you have to really watch these games to, uh, to get uh some valid impressions and to see the eye test, right, Magic Man? Um, you actually have to see things uh, as they happen. Yeah, absolutely, Nick. It, it's not uh, it's not a game in which uh, you can you can you know Google Google something for about fifteen minutes and think you you can talk uh, expertly or. Uh... It, it, it's not like a Jay Moore deep dive, man. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> it is not. It is not, my friend. It is not. So with that, good times, Nick. Thank you for coming on the Snack Pack, man. I really appreciate it. No, it's great being on the Snack Break with you, uh, Sean. Thanks again for the work and for spearheading uh, these sessions. And um, yeah, hopefully we get the W this weekend. And uh, I'll be on the lookout for more Snack Packs. Um, and uh, thanks again for hosting. You're welcome. You're always invited, my friend. Open invitation anytime you want. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for joining us for this snack pack. Hopefully it satisfied your hunger, and we'll see you later.